Hey, it's Latif from Radio Lab. Our goal with each episode is to make you think, how did I live this long and not know that? Radio Lab, adventures on the edge of what we think we know. Listen wherever you get podcasts. This storm was the mother storm. It changed the whole island and it changed every single person in it. The people help each other. And for me, Maria, it's the most beautiful lesson is we trust in us. So what I saw a year before and thought about, it's, it's still happening. The identity has been very wobbly. Maria, it was destructive, but also it was a blessed. People are tend to live now more in Tuno. What they, uh, what we have in Puerto Rico. You're gonna do the anniversary of Maria. It should be the un-anniversary. Very, that's enough. But this hurricane, this monster, unified us. This is the takeaway. I'm Tanzina Vega, and this week I'm in Puerto Rico. Thursday marks one year since Hurricane Maria made landfall on the island. All week, we'll be talking to Puerto Ricans about the aftermath of the storm and the social, economic, and cultural impact Maria has had on the island and on what it means to be Puerto Rican. Back in New York, Sarah Gonzalez from NPR's Planet Money podcast is helping us this week. Hi, Sarah. Hey, Tanzina. I'm so glad you're down in Puerto Rico following the recovery, and I'm happy to be guest hosting while you're down there bringing us these voices. So tell us what you have planned for us this week. So we started out, you know, with this idea of wanting to report on identity and how Puerto Rican identity had shifted and changed. Obviously, it's a multi-layered thing given our relationship with the United States. What we're finding as we're down here is that identity is important, but most people are wanting to talk about the stories of resilience, right? How they themselves banded together when they knew they really had no other choice, when they realized that the severity of the storm was what it was, that the damage was what it was, and that the help was going to be slow in coming. And so we keep hearing stories about people doing whatever they needed to do to survive despite the conditions. And Tanzina, you're down there as the president has been tweeting about the death toll on the island. And I'm very curious to hear how Puerto Ricans on the island feel about the president's comments. I mean, I think that that when we think about the president's tweets, to be specific, there's 2,975 deaths that were recorded in the latest study about the death toll after Hurricane Maria. The death toll and the deaths of Puerto Ricans does weigh heavy here. One thing I will say that people are not as obsessed over is the president himself. He'll come up in conversation, but there is an an obsession over every single presidential slight, every single presidential tweet. And before we left, I talked to Francis Negron Muntaner, and she's a Puerto Rican filmmaker, writer, and scholar, and also a professor at Columbia University's Center for the Study of Ethnicity and Race. And she helped us understand why getting these numbers with the death toll is so important. It's an affirmation and a demand for recognition that there was human beings that lost their lives as a result of Maria. But also is that the number itself, whether it's a small number or a big number, becomes a sort of representation of the scale of loss. It raises the question of not only that there was a lot of loss and pain and suffering that went with that process, but also raises the question of who is responsible, who is to be held accountable. 
And, you know, Sarah, I think one of the things whenever we talk about, and we'll get into this in the segment, but there is a lot of pain in that lack of recognition. And we're going to hear more from Francis throughout the week. But we decided for one of our first stops, we should go and really explore who has witnessed that death firsthand and who knew that these numbers were higher than what was being reported. Uh, my name is Robert Molina. I'm the general manager of Eret Funeral Home in San Juan, Puerto Rico. I've been uh, the general manager at the funeral home for the last 18 years. But last year was different for Robert, and we walked around the funeraria Eret to get a sense of what things were like during Maria. This is warehouse area. This is where we carry some of the stock. So what is we do is. Is this where you had the bodies when uh, they were coming in? This is the embalming room. There is a body cooler back there, and uh, we were using this visitation room here also. When I sat down with Robert, he said he knew right away the extent of the devastation that Maria had caused and that it exceeded what government officials were telling him. Before Maria, in 2017, we were handling average 68 to 70 calls a month. That's how they identify in the industry. They call them calls. So that was our average. Uh, The month after Maria, it went up to 112. Were you expecting or anticipating a lot of calls after Maria? No, not that much. Not that much. What were people saying when they were calling? Uh, Many people were uh, very concerned uh, to find a funeral home. That was one of their main concerns at that time. As a matter of fact, this guy called, it was around midnight, and uh, he was looking for cremation services because his mom just passed. And we were the fourth funeral home that he called. And he didn't get an answer in the first three. And uh, at one point, we were turning down families. We turned down probably 12 or 15 families because we were not able to handle any more volume because all the bodies started stacking up here. We were not getting permits to bury anymore because the government agencies were not working. You know, at one point we had 27 bodies here. And I said, got to stop. Can't go. I I don't have enough room for them. And uh, at one point, there is a hospital in Bayamón. It's a very large hospital, Hospital San Pablo. Their morgue was full. So they already had bodies uh, on the hallway. That's very dangerous at a hospital. You know, those bodies will start decomposing normally, naturally. It's going to happen. So they were going to have an epidemic there at the hospital. That wasn't the only hospital with that. Now, were people clear on whether or not these bodies were a result of the storm or anything related to the storm? Was it, or do you guys not get into the how? Let me tell you, uh, the paper, which is the death certificate, read something, which was the medical causes, but the story behind it, we got that from the family. Because they walked in, we had the paper there, and it said, uh, whatever conditions it were, but then the family said, well, you know, he was stuck at home for two or three days, he couldn't get to the hospital, or he couldn't get to his dialysis, or, so we had the story behind it, which was not on the paper. And what were many of those stories? Medication, that they couldn't get their medications, and I have my own story about that. My in-laws lived with us the day after the hurricane. My mother-in-law needed some medications. And I went to a pharmacy, and the pharmacy said, all we are taking is cash. She said, it's 600 bucks. So some people said that, 
some people said that they got too late to the hospital. I had a good friend. He was uh, 59 years old. Three or four weeks before the hurricane, he felt ill. He went to the emergency room. He had uh, high blood pressure for the first time he knew that. Before that, he didn't know that. So they said, listen, you need to get to a cardiologist and get treatment and all that. So he was stabilized at emergency room. He was released. He called the doctor and he made an appointment. The appointment was three weeks after the hurricane. Well, the hurricane came. The doctor didn't open his office. So he missed the appointment. Four weeks after the hurricane, he was in the emergency room again. He had a massive heart attack and he passed. So his mama called me on my cell phone and he said, Charlie's gone. I said, what? Is that death related to a hurricane? Yes, it is. If he was able to get to the doctor, to his appointment, most likely he would still be around. I'm sure you have either seen or heard about the President of the United States and his comments about the bodies. He has suggested that there were not 3,000 deaths. Those were deaths were not related to the hurricane, according to what the president is saying. And he says, you know, that this is also an attempt by the Democrats to smear him, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. You do this every day. Do you think it matters that the president acknowledge these deaths? Yes. Why? Yes. Well, most of the Puerto Ricans uh, feel proud about being U.S. citizens. So I guess that most feel that we are not being treated uh, as equals. We are being put aside. We are the small island there, you know, full of uh, Puerto Ricans. No, it's full of U.S. citizens. So when these things happen, uh, it's more confusing for us. You know, if uh, half of the island wants to be a state, but they feel they are being treated this way, well, do I really want to be there? Or would I like to be uh, separated or excluded permanently because I don't feel they, they are treating me the right way? So You deal in an industry that I was, you know, when we were walking in, I said, this is one job I could not do. Right? That's what I thought. That's what I thought. That's what you thought. Yes. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, I never visited funeral homes. And if a family member of my wife passed, I just dropped her at the door. And I said, I'll be back in two hours and pick you up. I never walked in a funeral home. And here you are. Uh, yes. Now I don't walk into my house. <laughs> <laughs> so, but seriously, like I wonder, was there a point for you personally in the process where the sort of strength of the funeral director fell to the side a little bit and it was a little bit overwhelming or maybe a little bit more emotional than you expected it to be? Every passing uh, is different. Uh, When you take care of a family, every family is different. But during the hurricane, most of them had more stress and uh, they passed that along. And families were trying to get in touch with the funeral home, they didn't even have a phone. So their only option was get in the car, get there. Some of them didn't have any gas. I guess that everything added up and uh, it really touched us emotionally. Uh, Even though we are used to it and we deal with it on a daily basis, it was different. It was really different. You know, and some people just, when they left, they said, take good care of mom, take good care of pop. 
for them, many of that people were still alive, and they were just leaving them at like a elderly home and take good care of them. And it was very different. It got emotional. It really did. So, if we are being honest about Maria and everything else, we know that, or at least we can anticipate more storms like this in the future. Are you prepared if this happens again? Us, I feel more prepared. We did a lot of uh, things that normally we didn't do and we learned a lot. I think we we really survived. Uh, The island... I don't know if you have heard about what's going on in, in the Megal Examiner, about the bodies they still have there in, in containers. Well, it's a year after, and they still have 60 or 70 bodies there, just in some containers in the outside of forensics. Don't you think they should have taken care of that already a year after? Are they ready? I don't think so. I don't think they are. That was Robert Molina, the general manager of Funeraria Arid in San Juan. We reached out to the medical examiner's office in Puerto Rico for comment regarding the bodies that remain since the storm, but we have not yet heard back. Thanks, Tenzina, for that report, and good luck on the ground. Thank you, Sarah. Takeaways coverage of Puerto Rico is supported in part by the Puerto Rico Relief and Rebuilding Fund of the Partnership for New York City. Funder of Para la Naturaleza, a leader in environmental conservation and historic preservation in Puerto Rico for over 50 years. Info at pln.org.